Okay, so um, so I think Dan, you're going to kind of get us going today. What are we uh, talking about? Where do you want to start? Yeah, uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, one of the things that we talked about was uh, why I should be a member of a church, uh, why I should join myself to a body. What's the deal? What what um, you know, you know, is, is that something that we need to do? And I think that the scriptures are pretty clear that um, everyone that was baptized that day in Acts chapter two, the Lord added them together. Maybe whether they knew it or not, the Lord was adding uh, adds all of us together when we are are uh, baptized into Christ, and we need to join together as well. We need to hook ourselves together, become friends and and helpers and partners in this work together. And rather than talking about why we should make an effort to be members together, I want to talk about, all right, so so that's the case. Now, what do I do? I'm in a church, or I'm a part of a church, or I'm connected to Christians, and I want to be a a member and a part of this church. What am I going to do when I get in there? And uh, I I think that that's a really... uh, important or valuable idea to think about. And Scott, when we were talking a little bit earlier, you had an idea that I think is just a really great way to begin this this whole discussion. I think you were talking about something from 1 Corinthians 12. Yeah. So lots of times people talk about, oh, I'm a member of this church or I'm a member of that church. Um, And sometimes they haven't even been to that church in five years or, or so, but that's where their membership is. And so I want to contrast by looking at 1 Corinthians 12, the difference between the members of the body in 1 Corinthians 12 and the way we might be a member of the Lions Club or a political party or something else. Uh, Gym. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Some people have a gym membership and go every day. Uh, Some people have a gym membership. in six months but they're a member because they got a card you know uh so let's look in first Corinthians chapter 12 and somebody start reading the text there where it starts describing the body let's give the context real quick the corinthians have written and said hey what we need is more speaking in tongues not enough to speak in tongues and paul says listen the holy spirit gave a variety of gifts one person has this 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 that it's all from the Holy Spirit. You're not all supposed to have the same thing. Then he gives this body illustration. Somebody could read that, please. That starts kind of in verse 12. Uh, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members and the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So this ear is a member of my body, not because it has a card, not because it paid its dues. It's part of my body and it does something. It contributes to the benefit of this body by hearing things I need to hear. My thumb is part of my body. It does different things in my ear, but it's an active part. And 
sometimes I think too many people are body fat. It's just there. It's not functioning. It slows things down. It can even get in the way. And the members in 1 Corinthians 12, it's an active part of wanting to do what's good in the body. And of course, Ephesians 1 in service to the head. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's one of the things that I've been thinking about in some lessons that I've been working on recently and and uh, talking to a, uh, some Christians who are wanting, you know, to talk about the idea of what makes a strong church or what is going to be the things that help me to help the church to be strong and what, <clears throat> what ingredients make up a strong church. And the answer isn't in the numbers of individuals within a church. It's not the size of the congregation. It's not how many memberships, how many people have the card like you're talking about, Scott, but the, but the activity and the work and the effort in, in, that, in that group of people. Um, the prophets who preached over and over and over again, Isaiah and Ezekiel or, and Jeremiah are perfect examples. Uh, they didn't necessarily convert and change a lot of people's opinions, but they got the word out there. And we consider those very strong um, prophets. And uh, Baruch, who helped out Jeremiah, he wasn't the prophet, but he was there. And he was a part of that work that Jeremiah did. And you could kind of call the two of them almost like a church. I imagine there might have been some more guys helping them out. But they were working well. They were strong. And they were continuing to do the important things, even in a world that was turning against it. And that activity together and that work together is, I think, what makes a strong church. And also one of the kind of secondary points to that, uh, an idea that shows up in Romans 12, is not just the working together, but the attitude towards each other in working together. Um, that, that's a really big point, especially in that next section, like starting in verse 21, the, the I, so the first kind of point in verse 12 through 20 is like, you don't feel like that you don't do anything in the body. You need to view yourself as a valuable member of the body that has work to do and can build up the body of Christ. But then verse 21 through 26 kind of starts talking about, and also don't look down on other people who don't do what you do and think that you're better than them. Um, you know, so maybe you're the guy that's in the pulpit that teaches the lessons. It's not, you, you know, that's not very important in comparison to the head. Um, maybe you're the, you know, one of the elders or the leaders of the group, one, one of the people in the spotlight. Um, well, you're all a part of the same body. And so he says, like in verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't have any need of you or the head to the feet. I have no need of you. And then he goes on and say, on the contrary, actually, the weaker parts are indispensable. <laughs> we need those, those parts. And so there's this unified kind of attitude or idea. And I think later on, Justin's going to maybe start talking about that a little bit, kind of examples from Acts that show just the value and the need for unity in the church, that this togetherness, because there's a lot of work to do. And if only one or two people are trying to do all the work and pushing everyone else to the side, it's not going to get done. It's, there's so much more value and help and wisdom in working all together as one to fulfill a common goal. Mm -hmm. Well, hands are going to take the brunt of the work on our body, you know, especially if you're doing manual labor and, you're, and you have bad eyesight, you're going to smash your thumbs a whole lot. So your hands are these body parts that they're doing all this work. They're taking the, the bulk of the abuse. They're getting callous. They're getting worn out. The bones are breaking and the hands can rebel against the body. Here we are, we're the hands and we're doing all this work. And that stupid set of lungs 
it gets the cushy job. It's inside. It's all warm and it's all comfortable in there. And uh, but but the lungs that are so weak, the lungs can't protect themselves. The lungs need other organs to protect them. They're inside a cage of bone and they're underneath skin, absolutely protected. And it seems like that maybe the lungs are just they're, they're just taking up space and they're not contributing. And the moment the lungs stop working, the hands realize just how much more valuable the lungs are than these hands that are out there in the front and out there and uh, obvious in their labor to all. I think that's a helpful, I wonder if that's what Paul meant by some of those kind of like the, I think he uses the word dishonorable members, but the ones that are hidden and ultra protected uh, because we don't want to let our heart just dangle outside of our body. We want it deep inside with all of those precious uh, body parts and protected by by the skin and the bones. Yeah, I think uh, that attitude that we should have, uh, we've been studying Philippians here in Philadelphia, and we looked at the examples of humility that we, we need to imitate. Um, and part of the message of Philippians is there in uh, chapter, chapter one, and uh, his, his concern is that they would strive side by side uh, with one mind for the faith in the gospel. So you've got kind of this body image there um, that they're sharing one way of thinking, and yet each of them is, is next to each other. Um, part of the chain of examples he gives, one of them is Epaphroditus. And it struck me that Epaphroditus had this view of himself that he was useful, but he was not irreplaceable, um, that he could die for the sake of the gospel, and that's not a big deal. Um, but what he was more concerned about was he got sick near enough to death in chapter two that other people were worried about him. And so there's this, this view of ourselves where um, you know, we, we want to be servants, we think. Uh, we want to be known for good service, uh, and yet we really don't like it when people treat us like servants. Um, uh, and we, we want to be acknowledged, we want to be praised, um, we, we want to be tasked with the jobs that make us feel um, uh, like we're worth something. And instead of, you know, the garbage man or the person behind the scenes doing the work. Uh, and so Paphroditus was a servant and didn't mind that, you know, he was going to suffer greatly for that task. So that's the kind of attitude that I see working in all this is if everyone had that attitude and everyone thought that others, Philippians 2 again, uh, were more significant than themselves, mm -hmm. um, then, then what would a church, a local church look like? Uh, we wouldn't be, wouldn't be jealous of each other. Uh, we wouldn't have a kind of rivalry that would breed distrust. Oh, they're doing well. It must be that in secret, they're doing really badly. Uh, and we just sort of have those thoughts toward each other. And that's just, uh, that's not the way we should celebrate each other's successes, pray for the kind of success we want God, God wants us to have, um, and, and be glad for other people to take the spotlight. Mm -hmm. So maybe, maybe an example, Jonathan mentioned it earlier. Do we want to look at Acts 11 and Acts 13? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was helpful to me, and of course, uh, I think each of us, I mean, each of us is uh, working in a church uh, as a teacher or preacher, um, and we're not the preacher. 
uh, we're actually, each of us, I think, is blessed with uh, partners. Uh, Jonathan and, and Dan are working together. Scott, you've got a couple of partners there, um, Stephen and Chase. And then I work with a, a man named David Rafe. Um, and that's not always been the case. I've, I've often worked alone, um, but I much prefer working with someone else. It comes with certain challenges, um, but that's because I'm hard to get, get along with, <laughs> to be, be honest. Um, I was told if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't join it, you'll mess it up. Um, but in Acts 11, uh, the Gentiles have heard the gospel as, as was shared in Acts 10. And there are some Gentiles up in Antioch. And so the, uh, the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem send Barnabas down to them. And so uh, Barnabas, who's the son of encouragement, is going to go there and he's going to tell them to, to hold on to what they received. If you look at Acts 11, 23, he's seen the grace of God at work in them. He's glad. He's encouraging and exhorting them. Um, he's saying, stay faithful to the Lord. And then it, he says, you know what? I, I need some help. And he goes to get Saul. And Saul comes down to help him. Uh, and then you've got uh, later in Acts 13, uh, there's something else in 11, I think, Dan, you wanted to point out. Uh, but in Acts 13, uh, when we come back to this church, it's not just Barnabas. It's not just Saul, who's now called Paul. Uh, it's also Simon, Acts 13, verse 1. It's Lucius and Menean. Uh, so here's this church, and there are multiple people who are doing a similar work, but each of them is doing it in their own unique way uh, because that kind of work is needed. So you don't see the whole church looking for one person to do the job or even two people, but they're just seeing lots of needs being taken care of by lots of people, and the teaching uh, has to get done, and there's, there's plenty of it, so plenty of hands, you know, many hands make light work. So, but we skipped over some things in 11. Uh, Scott, anything you wanted to point out about that? Go ahead and go to Acts 11, and there's a couple of comments I want to make later. All right. Yeah, Dan, you wanted to point out something there. Yeah, and, and one one of the things that we've been talking about right now, the different, we haven't really talked about a lot of specific jobs or works or tasks in the church, but we, we've mentioned a lot of the teaching and used that as an example. That's one of the great tasks that the, that the church was given. We see that as one of the goals in Ephesians chapter four, so that the Christians could all come up to the same stature and measure of faith and understanding of Christ. And so teaching is a really important job. And there was these few that are listed, but at the end of chapter um, chapter 11, okay, I was, in, I was on, looking at the wrong page. I've got not the Bible that I'm used to looking at. So I'm looking at funny different sides of the pages, but in Acts chapter 11, verse 27, uh, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem and Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. What I like about this is it's an activity that so many of the Christians got involved in, and there's a lot of different activities. Uh, not, uh, I mean, there was the one Agabus. There's this one guy who gets the prophecy. So there's not a lot of people who are getting that job, but everyone responding to that prophecy had a task and had a job because all he did was proclaim that there was going to be a famine. It doesn't sound like he even said, and this is what God wants you to do. He just said, there's going to be a famine. And all the Christians begin to react to that. They think about that. They talk together. They figure out this is what we're going to do. We're going to help out those Christians. 
and they start pooling their money together. And that probably means that the teachers were pooling their money together and those who were being taught were pulling their money together as well. And it's just this demonstration of um, the front lines, uh, people on the front lines are helping, the people uh, in the back of the, the, the lines, they're helping. Everyone is contributing to this, figuring out what do we do about this need and let's get active about this need. And it just popped into my head, just there's another, I think it's the same Agabus um, in Acts, uh, is it chapter 22 when Paul's about to go back to Jerusalem and he gets the, or is it, he's in 21. Again, I'm not, I can't find him on my page because he's not where I'm used to him being, but where does Agabus talk about the, the guy who owns his belt? Uh, 21 verse uh, 11. Verse 11. Okay, yeah, so Agabus, he gets Paul's belt in verse 11 and says, thus is the Holy Spirit, this is how the, uh, how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said that the will of the Lord be done. I like this as just a side point. Here's a prophet who gives us gives a message to the people, and there's two interpretations based on that. The truth of the prophecy is Paul's going to get arrested, and there's two reactions that we can have. Paul should go. Paul should not go. And all the Christians there who are looking out for the welfare of Paul are saying, don't go, don't go, don't go. And Paul says, don't. This is what I need to do. Stop breaking my heart. Um, and so then they they relent in that, and we can tell that there's this prayer and there's this will to support him. So there's in chapter 11, there's a very monetary, physical work going involved in supporting Christians. And in chapter 21, um, there's some confusion about whether we should support Paul to go to Jerusalem or not. But when they realize that that's what needs to be, it doesn't sound like they give him a pile, a bag of money in this case, but they are supporting him. Nevertheless, they are praying for him. He's in, in their, their hearts and in their prayers. And so there are different ways that these people that we as Christians can get involved in helping each other. Yeah. And, and I'll add on to that a little bit back in, in Acts chapter 11, the, the phrase in verse 26 is really interesting um, where it says it was in Antioch that this, the disciples were first called Christians. Um, there are a bunch of different identifying terms that are used for Christians in the New Testament. Um, those that belong to the way um, is one that, that shows up in Acts. Saints uh, is another one um, that, that shows up in some of the letters. But here they're first called Christians in Antioch. And I think that's interesting that just to think about that in the scope of what's going on in Antioch, you've got a group of people that have just left because of the persecution of Stephen uh, in verse 19, it, it says that they've left from Jerusalem, they believed in Jesus, they've been baptized, and they've started heading back home, they get to their their city, they're speaking to other Jews about Jesus, they need some help. Um, and so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to them, Barnabas needs some help. And so he goes and he gets Paul, and they're all working together in the city. And in that city, they're first called Christians, I get that as to mean not first called Christians, like they said, oh, call us Christians, but that the community there starts to realize these guys are Christians. The word Christian just means follower of Christ. Um, and so like, how would they know that? <laughs> like, how would the community, how would the city of Antioch know that's a Christian? Well, it's because I believe every member, every person that was there in that church 
was living their life as a follower of Christ and being really vocal about it, being really active about it, being really involved about it. And people could look and say, that's one of those Christian people. <laughs> that's one of those Christ followers. It wasn't, you know, they, I don't get the, the picture that like, oh, you saw him going into the church building or something, um, but they're living their lives as Christians. Uh, and that makes a huge impact in the community in Antioch and leads to, I think, where Justin's going to go later on. Yeah, well, to um, kind of taking what you just said there about uh, being known as followers of Christ, and uh, what Scott was getting up before with the, the body uh, idea, you know, what, what's the body for? You know, uh, it's the body of Christ, and you think about God putting on human form uh, and living amongst us. The, the purpose of that was so that, well, well there are lots of purposes, uh, you know, to teach the truth, to become a sacrifice, to establish this new relationship, but but why a body? Why why human form? He's manifesting the glory of God in a in a very tangible way. Uh, Hebrews Hebrews one uh, addresses some of that. John one, he tabernacled amongst us. So it should be that people can look to the church, people can look to Christians, and particularly our relationship one with another, and say, there's something there's something about that that shows me God in a very special, unique way. So that means that it becomes my, my interest, my aim in every interaction with another Christian to help them be more like Christ, uh, to help them not just, uh, and, he, and here's, here's maybe the negative side of this. Um, do you guys ever think about the kind of conversations you have with people, other Christians, um, when you get together in a group of Christians, like what are some of the conversations you kind of default into, whether it's like, at gathering at someone's home, or even maybe at the assembly place, the church building, uh, what are the kind of default conversations you have? How are you doing? What have you been up to lately? Yeah, Which might, is just depending, depending on what time of year might be. Uh, did you see uh, the score last night of the you know whatever NFL NBA game or whatever? Talk about yeah. that sort of thing. It's usually like pretty mundane carnal and not that it's evil or wrong like i have an interest in those things i you know uh if you share i don't know basket weaving interest with somebody and you know you catch up on your you might know, share some of your basket weaving photos with somebody like you know we've got this common interest that's cool but you know we ought to be we ought to be checking in with each other like I know you've been struggling with this particular sin. Can can you share with me how you're doing with that? You know, how, how is it going? How can I be praying for you? Um, I've, I've been wrestling with these particular things. I've got this person I'm trying to talk to about the gospel. Could you help me with this? I have this question about parenting. And it ought to be that we are constantly seeking to build each other up. I picture that's what Barnabas is doing in Acts 11. He's not just getting in. He's like, guys, did you hear about the Hebrew game last night? It was awesome. You know, we scored so many points on those Romans. It, it wasn't. It, it wasn't that kind of conversation. Uh, it was seeing the grace of God, exhorting them to be faithful. And so, some of the conversations we have with people, um, we need to be spending those moments trying to recapture those moments for the sake of building each other up in Christ. Uh, that can take a lot of different forms, um, but. Um, Colossians 1 was the passage that I had in mind where Paul talks about the energy that's at work in him and it's kind of this bodily image I'm thinking about the lungs you talked about Dan the lungs are breathing life into the rest of the body Colossians 1 where Paul talks about in verse 29 all this energy that's powerfully at work within him 
he's using that to struggle for a particular purpose. What's the purpose? Colossians 1.28, he says he's proclaiming Christ, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, Ephesians 4 presents this body idea uh, and these different joints, and each joint is working individually so that the whole body grows up into this maturity. Uh, that, that ought to be the aim of every Christian. Scott? And also along with that, sometimes some secular things of service are super valuable. Uh, like Jesus washes their feet. Peter said, no, don't wash my feet. And, uh, um, and it, or, or, then he goes, wash all of me. He says, you know, only your feet need it. Doing things that are needed, like somebody's moving, show up and help move them. Uh, somebody's doing some work on a house or something, go do that. People get a lot closer when they share, when they bear each other's burdens, whether it's spiritually or in other ways. And uh, I want to come to a distinction in just a minute between the assigned functions and unassigned functions and upfront functions and not upfront functions, which you've already alluded to. But first, let's see what Jonathan has to say. Yeah, it just made me think what, what you were saying. Um, that made me think of, of Romans 12. I don't know if we were going to spend more time on that or not. Um, but I, I think we could say as, as a church, as a body of believers, everyone's primary function goes along with what Justin was saying, to build up the body so Christ is magnified and to also spread the truth in our communities, bring others to Christ, shine our lights. That, that would be our primary function. But in working together as a body, there are other responsibilities and things that we can do for each other. Maybe kind of like what Scott was saying, you know, if somebody's, somebody needs help, go help them. Um, and it reminds me of Romans 12, um, where Paul again uses the body illustration, but he kind of has some different things to say about it in Romans 12, um, starting in verse four. He says, for as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we that are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having gifts that then differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he starts listing them. There are seven gifts that he lists here. When you think about gifts or, or jobs or responsibilities that are fulfilled in a church, three of the things that are in this list of seven things make sense to me, but the other four are kind of like, wait, that's, that's an important role that's, that needs to be filled in a church. Um, so he says in verse six, uh, if prophecy, then use it in proportion with our faith. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Um, these are the ways that Paul brings up, and this is an exhaustive list, I don't think, but these are the ways that you can serve in your church and work in your church and do things in your church. And like I said, three of those, I think, stand out, especially in the first century church, the prophecy, communicating God's word, also teaching is another big one that people think about working in the church, or the leaders uh, are the ones, but you got things in here like an exhorter. Um, you know, a church needs people that stand up for truth and correct people when they're wrong, and, and push them to the right, um, and rebuke them. That's a valuable, needed part of a church, or the, the merciful ones. <laughs> 
people that are very merciful. That's an important function in a church to reflect God's mercy and his forgiveness and be kind of like the Barnabas picture that I see with Paul, where no one else is really interested in, in hanging out with Paul, but Barnabas brings him in, kind of vouches for him. That, that's needed. Or uh, the one who contributes, people that give. If you have resources, use them to help the members of the church. If somebody's in a financial crisis, help them. Um, or also, I think, contributing with our time and, and abilities, like something Scott brought up, somebody's moving, go help them. But that, that helps provoke this unity and growth and togetherness when everyone is doing everything that they possibly can for the benefit of the body, both spiritual and physical and helping one another. Go ahead, Scott. So some tasks are upfront tasks. Um, so like, I don't get to ask, ask to lead singing very often. Once in a blue moon, I'm asked to lead one song. Uh, but that's because other people do it better. And so it, yeah, I don't need to you know, whine and say, why am I not the song leader? Because I'm not that good. That's why. Uh, other people will do it better. Uh, not everybody needs to be up front. Not everything needs to be an assigned thing. If, if you're asked to serve as an elder, if you're asked to serve as a deacon, like in Acts 7, where the seven were chosen to oversee the deaconing of the, the tables. Uh, that's an honorable service that does good, and it's important. Uh, but so much work is not assigned or up front. So I want to throw out a couple of names from the New Testament. And first, I'm going to and, and be thinking about it. I'm going to start asking some questions. The names are Aquila and Prisca. And uh, before I start asking questions, there's a sister that comes to mind who, when I was in the same place worshiping with her, what I noticed was whenever there was a need, she was already there. You know, if you got to the emergency room, guess who was already there? You know, if there was a need, she was already there. And it wasn't because she was assigned to that. It wasn't because she was trying to be seen. It was because she had a heart to serve. And when there was a need, she was there. It was really beautiful, really appreciate. So Aquila and Priscilla, uh, there's not a book about them. There's not a whole chapter about them, but start naming off times that you can remember them being mentioned and what were they doing? I think of Romans. Uh, where in Romans 16, Paul mentions, uh, you know, greet them. And there's a church that's meeting in their house. I don't know what that looked like, but uh, they were being leaders in the way that they served and showed hospitality. So that, you know, yeah, they, Romans, the Romans 12 list. They opened up their home to provide one of the churches a place to meet in Rome. And that's not the only place they did that. Back in, in uh, Ephesus. Ephesus. They had also opened up, because in the, in the Corinthian correspondence mentions and, and the, the church in their house. So two times the church needed a place to meet. And, you know, Prisca is not, oh, I don't want people messing up my house. And it's, yeah, we'll have to, you know, have everything right. No, it's like, we can meet here. All right? mm -hmm. Other times you see them. Well, there's the moment when they, they help Apollos come to a better understanding of the scriptures, a full understanding. So yeah. he's, up there, he's, he's up there putting on, 
not bad, but he is the one who is the show, you know, the flashy service. He's preaching. They pull him aside. They don't even do it in front of everyone, it sounds like, but they pull him aside. They give him the full information so that he can do a better job. And he gets back up there again, not to be showy, but just to point yeah. out that, that distinction. Yeah. So the, and then he'll go to Corinth with a letter written there from Asia Minor. And whose signature on that letter would especially be taken seriously by the Corinthians? Aquila and Priscilla, because they know them. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he'll go, and as Paul said, I planted Apollos water. And Aquila and Priscilla helped Apollos be able to do that in, mm -hmm. in those two ways. Mm -hmm. Right? What else do you see? They also housed, or at least worked, Paul when he came down to Corinth. He 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 worked with them. He, yeah. he, job. he needed a place to stay, and they let him get in on their business mm -hmm. and and do tent making with them because that was his trade as well. Mm -hmm. uh, what what else do you see about him? At this point, I'm running dry. They're they're at the end of Romans um, where it mentions the. Um, the church that was meeting in their house, but also um, they did some other things for uh, Christians as well, in particular for Paul, where it's really interesting. I really wonder what this means, but Paul says that um, they were fellow workers with Christ and they risked their necks for my life. Yeah. Um, you know, I, don't, I don't know when and how and what that was, but. I don't know when and how. Uh, here's a few uh, passages that refer to dangers. Uh, he said, if I fought wild beasts at Ephesus, Back in 1 Corinthians 15, most people take that to be like Herod the fox or beware the dogs. But in the Roman Empire, sometimes they made people fight wild beasts. Uh, there was a time at the theater where uh, Paul's friends, you know, the Asiarchs were saying, no, no, don't, don't go down there. And it was really dangerous. He writes 2 Corinthians. He said, I thought I had the sentence of death on me at some point. Uh, even when I left there and got to Troas, fightings without fears within there had been some really stressful situations and somewhere in there Will and Priscilla risked their lives to save Paul's life yeah so everybody was thankful now did did, did it look like the church assigned Aquila and Priscilla to house the preacher or let him join their work or straighten out a polis or uh, these are just they're, they're my favorite everyday heroes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I use that phrase because there's some really cool people in the Bible that we can learn from, but they don't have the same job we have. Like Noah, cool guy, cool job. You can learn from Noah, but what are the chances you'll ever be assigned to build an ark and save, you know, all of life? I hope, I hope it's zero. Yeah, I yeah. really hope. For, for the sake of all life across the planet, I hope that. Yeah, yeah. Moses, what's the chance that you're going to be assigned to go to, you know, Pharaoh and make him let the people of God go and lead them out so they can become a nation? Probably not going to happen. Doesn't mean we can't learn really valuable lessons from those people. But Aquila and Priscilla, they're doing everyday stuff. Because it just seems like every day they're being disciples of Christ. Yeah. They're doing good. And, and my final comment is this. If you see two congregations and one has a preacher 
He was very good at oratory, very polished speaker. And the other congregation has a bunch of Aquilas and Priscillas, which is going to be the healthier congregation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Aquilas, no doubt. Yeah. Well, there's a big difference between a, uh, a strong person and a strong collection of people. So, so what would you say then someone uh, in your local congregation who comes up and says, I want to be useful. I don't know how, do you have a job for me? Um, what, what might you say to this person? One thing that, for instance, if, if I wanted them to help me in my work to say, ask your friends and neighbors or tell them that you're gonna have a Bible reading in your home at such and such a time for four weeks mm -hmm. and pick a biblical text that you like and, and you can teach it or I'll come teach it. And if nobody comes, we'll enjoy going through the text together. Mm -hmm. But if somebody comes, that opens up the opportunity for a Bible study. Once you get somebody into one good Bible study, they usually want another one. Uh, and, and so they can do that or they can just like there was a fellow I remember he had quit coming and one of the sisters just wrote him a note and said you know we missed you and he came back if I'd called him again or gone over there well, I, I think it might not have had the same effect I was the preacher he figures I'm going to say that but was just somebody taking time to do that little words of encouragement uh, it, words of encouragement to little kids how many of you guys can remember something that made a difference in your life when you were little because somebody encouraged you? Yeah, I can remember. Yeah, we don't know which thing is going to stick, but man, that just it, it, it. There's all sorts of things that, that can be done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we have the the. It doesn't matter as much now because we're worshiping with a, a smaller congregation um so you're going to talk to everybody pretty much we still have to be watchful about it but when you're in a larger church uh there are people probably that you get along with better you know you have your basket weaving friends and so you go and you hang out in the corner and you share your photos uh, so, um but what we told our kids was you are not allowed to talk to any of your buddies until you have spoken to three people that you didn't speak with last week uh and so you know we have to get around to like why well, i spoke to so and so and so and so like those are the same people you spoke to last week you know, like find a different widow different widower you know different you know different somebody um and i think it it, it often happens and it's it's often happens in situations where we don't mean for it to happen but even with the church i'm with now here in philly uh, a couple weeks ago i looked around and i realized there was one family that was just kind of like circling around looking for some somewhere to connect somewhere to belong and you don't want like we all belong in christ right uh, and so we we need to make those connections happen if you drive an hour to come to worship and an hour home and during that hour you sat by yourself and listened to somebody talk to you about the bible and that's all you got uh, now of course we're coming to worship to give not just to get uh, but we all need to be looking for those those uh, outliers, the people that may need uh, a boost and encouragement. So maybe that's another thing. 
Uh, do you have other things you'd tell somebody like, hey, there's, there's some work to be done here? It's real simple, sing out. You know, it, it just, um, church is not a spectator sport. It's not a performance with, you know, customers watching other people perform. It's a body of people coming together to speak to and teach and admonish one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual psalms. Uh, and every person that puts themselves more into it benefits the group. Yeah. Yeah. One idea, and this is this isn't necessarily a work, but it's one of the it's one of the sets of instructions that we get from Jesus, and it sets up a principle that I think is pretty pretty interesting. In Matthew chapter five, when Jesus is talking about um, if you know if you're about to make your offering at the uh, at the altar, and you remember that your brother has some has something against you, you leave your offering and you go, you meet with your brother, and you you get that restitution, you get that figured out. He talks about that in Matthew five twenty three. And then later on in the book of Matthew in chapter 18, when he's talking about divisions and difficulties of those who are hurting the little ones, he says in Matthew 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, then you need to get up and you need to talk to your brother. What I like about that set of verses is that in Matthew chapter five, uh, my brother uh, thinks that I did something wrong. So in Matthew chapter five, whether it's true or not, whether the accusation is founded on truth, um, I am the guilty one, or I'm accused of being guilty, and I need to go to my brother and, and try to figure out well, what did I do wrong, whether it was on purpose or an accident, how can I make that right? And then on the opposite side is Matthew 18. I believe or even know that my brother did a sin or even sinned against me. And in Matthew 18, it's my responsibility to go and speak to my brother. So um, we are going to be, if we're, if we're doing the scriptures right, we are going to be driving to each other's houses and our cars are going to crash halfway because one of us is doing the Matthew 5 version and one of us is doing the Matthew 18 version. And the, the whole point there is whether I'm at fault or somebody else is at fault, and this is in the topic of sin, I am responsible to get up and to go to that brother and talk to them about my fault or their fault. I am always responsible. And that touches a lot, Justin, what you were saying about uh, trying to speak with the people at church and you're looking around and you're trying to find all these different individuals. Um, who is responsible to meet the people at the congregation? Who is responsible to make these connections? Uh, it's always me. It's always me. If I'm the new person, it's my it's my job to meet everyone who's there. If I'm someone who's old and has been in this church for a thousand years, then it's absolutely my job to, to find new people and make these connections. And using that as a principle of, um, well, whose job is it to do such and such in the building? Or whose job is it to take care of sister so-and-so? Or whose job is it to look for, uh, to, to help out with these different opportunities? It's always my job. I need to figure out how can I get involved because I have a lot of work ahead of me. I think that that's a helpful principle. Uh, Jonathan, do you have something? Um, yeah, I think maybe what I might say to someone and maybe something that everyone needs to hear that's looking to serve and be a better member in their church is um, you need to train yourself to not need to do the things that will be noticed. Yeah. Um, 
train yourself to want to do the things that you know aren't going to be noticed and do them anyway because those are still needed and my mind goes to like Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus talks about three different areas of um, things that were really prevalent that are really easy to want to do so that you're noticed by people um, giving praying and fasting and he gives basically the same instructions with all of them um, do them secretly and when your father sees in secret he'll reward you <laughs> um, but those are works I think all three of those are things you could do to help your church um, you know give to people and you know be in conversations with people be really open and and uh, ask them you know if there's anything that you need I would really like to be able to help whether that's time or resources and do that, but it just keep it between the two of you. You don't have to make a big show about it. Um, or uh, in conversations you have with people, pray for them. Um, and you can let them know that's super encouraging. There've been times in my life where I'll just get a message from someone that says, hey, I, I was praying for you about this. I know that you've been having a hard time with this and I was praying for you. I would just want you to know that. And that makes a huge difference. That's a huge work. It's not really glamorous. It's not really prestigious but it's a valuable work to pray. Um, or if there's something really hard going on in your church or with somebody that you know, fasting for them and taking that before God for them, I think is a really powerful, valuable thing to do. But those maybe aren't the answers that people want. It's like, hey, I wanna help, what can I do? Well, you can go in your closet and pray for the church, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But that's a needed work um, that, that should be everyone doing it but um it's a help to do doesn't yeah. on that just just a practical how-to maybe is i had a brother who consistently once a week will text me and he'll he'll start it off by saying would, would you please be praying for me for this and this and this and then he'll say how can i pray for you and i know he's needing like he's needing prayers but i also know that that's sort of an intro to i really want to be praying for you and i don't want it to sound like I know you need a lot of prayers and so it's just it's just a really nice uh way to ask for uh prayer requests and uh it it reminds me again the focus of the body is on christ and a lot of times i'm out here just doing my own thing and i'm not necessarily thinking about how am i glorifying god in this moment and i need to be and so when someone texts me and say how can i be praying for you like oh yeah i should be living for jesus right now and i need his help and these other people are going to be helping me to be thinking about that through their prayers. Uh, so yes, here are these things that I need God's help in. Uh, so just there are all sorts of ways that don't get a lot of attention. Um, you know, who is who am I responsible for in the church? Uh, to whom am I accountable? Um, there are people that fall through the cracks and sheep without a shepherd will scatter. And like it or not, even churches with good sound elders that are thoughtful and loving toward the congregation we miss you know, they, they miss sheep and so we need lots of people big sheep who are helping little sheep and maybe if you don't see anybody helping those sheep then that's your job because you did you saw them good discussion today dan thanks for bringing up this topic yeah, thank you guys for everything that you that you had to say about that. Thank you to our audience for listening in. If you have any questions or thoughts about anything we talked about today uh, and you want us to discuss further or answer some more questions, you can submit those things to us at BibleQuest.tv uh, or any other questions. Like we said last week, uh, we want to talk about what you all want to talk about. And so if you have any specific things that you'd like us to answer from uh, a text or something that's happening um, in current events, excuse me, in current events uh, that we can relate to scriptures, 
uh, we'd be happy to do that. So give us your questions or your thoughts at BibleQuest.tv. And that's all that we have for this week. So we will plan on talking to everyone next week, Lord willing.